Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's the Game Bites Show podcast. Today's April the 3rd, 2016. My name is LeGrand Jolly, your host, joined with Jeremy Lamont and Jared Dunn. Hello! Hey there! Hoorah! Hey. So I, I was just watching the, uh, the Overwatch. There was another trailer that came out. Not a trailer, but like a animated short. Uh-huh. Who do you guys think makes the best uh, trailers, cutscenes in the in the business? Minecraft. Minecraft, huh? Minecraft doesn't have any cutscenes. Oh, Jeremy. That's why they're the best. Uh, Blizzard does a really good job with their cutscenes, and they always blown have. away, man. It, it looks so freaking good. It's like if they made a whole movie, like a full-length movie based on whatever, did all the animation and their story building, it could be pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Jared? What's your favorite? You know, my favorite cutscene probably of all time is from Age of Empires 2. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that one was awesome. How old is that game? Yeah, that's a good question. 15 years, maybe? <laughs> Ancient. <laughs> so what do you think this means uh, for the World of Warcraft movie that's coming out? I mean, are they lending any of their talents to that? I mean, there's plenty of, you know, plenty of that's movie the, making. That's done by Bad Robot. That's the... Uh... Right? Isn't it Bad Robot that's doing that one? Uh, I mean, they're producing it. I don't know that they're actually doing the direct work. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I personally don't think that Blizzard has a hand in any of the animation in the movie itself. I wouldn't think they do, at least. I don't know. 1999 well, for Age of Empires 2. 1999 for a 15-year-old game. Sign me up. It's an awesome intro. It's got like or this I could buy Stardew Valley and go, go from there. I don't know. <laughs> That's the next game on my list, by the way. I see. But we're not talking about video games. Jeremy's well, about ready to cut me off. Like, none of this video game talk about We don't games talk about playing. video games on this podcast. No, we don't talk about games we've been playing on this podcast. We do that on Wednesdays. Today That's is right. Sunday. Therefore, we're going to talk about news. Jeremy, give us some news. We're going to do it right now. And we're going to start with uh, some of the new fiscal year stuff that's going on beginning uh, this month in April. I, You know, I love every week how you start out with this fiscal year, blah 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 Business it's, it's pretty good, and we've got a good, uh, and in fact, actually, we've talked about this one before. Uh, starting right now, as of right now, there is no such thing as Sony Computer Entertainment. No, no, my friends. It is now Sony Interactive Entertainment. And on an entry in the PlayStation blog, Sean Layden gave us a little bit of a rundown about that. And I guess the big question is, what does this mean for us? And he says, honestly, uh, probably not much to begin with. But what it does mean in the long run is that they are planning to unify PlayStation's gaming, streaming, and network services and their PlayStation View television service under one roof. They're moving their corporate headquarters to the United States into San Mateo, California. And uh, he says, in the long run, the formation of SIE will allow us to forge a unified PlayStation organization that can adapt more quickly to meet the needs of the gaming community, innovate with digital services like PlayStation View and PlayStation Now, and above all else, drive consistent and constant innovation in the dynamic medium of video games. Um, I, one of the big complaints that people have about Sony as an organization is the fact that all of their regions are sort of independently vertical from one another. They don't have any real cross organizational communication, and this seems to be a move toward unifying all of that, and hopefully in the long run making it into an organization that will be a lot more responsive to the publishing needs of their various studios and uh, affiliates throughout the world, which, um, you know, things like region locking, and I mean, I'm not sure that that stuff will necessarily uh, be, be uh, changed dramatically, but those kinds of things, where something might be available in uh, one area published by Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, and it might not be something that we get in the United States or Japan or vice versa. Uh, the organization itself probably won't be changing too much. The uh, president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment will continue to be Andrew House, and uh, 
uh, Sean Layden will be the chair of the Worldwide Studios and uh, is leading the Sony Interactive Entertainment America, and Shuhei Yoshida will now report to him. So just kind of an interesting thing. Um, you know, bringing their headquarters to the United States is a pretty big deal. Uh, previously, Sony, of course, as a Japanese company, has been focused more on Japan and um, Europe. And, uh, you know, I think that in Japan, the... The, the habits or the consumer culture has kind of moved more to mobile while people in the United States and to some extent Europe are still pretty interested in traditional console games. So, Well, that was already announced like a while ago, right? Yeah, that's we correct. So, that yeah, we reported on this, uh, well, they had announced this uh, a while back and this actually takes place, uh, takes effect April 1st, but it is no April Fool. Whoa. Good one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in uh, other Sony news, they have also indicated that they are considering, uh, not making any concrete plans, but considering bringing the PlayStation VR virtual reality platform to PC. Um, and this is according to Nikkei, which is the Japanese news outlet. And Sony Computer Entertainment, or I'm sorry, Sony Interactive Entertainment Executive Vice President Masayasu Ito told the publication that the company is considering making the headset compatible with the PC platform later on in its lifespan. The console shares similar internal parts to a PC, so uh, Ito doesn't feel like there's a big leap to be made there. The similar architecture could make bringing the headset to computers possible, and yet while he is... Uh, while he indicated that they're exploring future PC functionality, they're currently focused on developing games for their own new platform. So what this means to me is that hopefully VR games are just going to be VR games and not necessarily be tied to a single piece of hardware. Like like the Oculus. Like, this game's only on Oculus, or this game's only on Vive, or this game's... You know, because if Sony wants to bring their hardware and allow developers to program... You know, maybe Unreal Engine builds in a module for PlayStation VR and they can just turn it on for PC and that would be freaking awesome. Yeah, this seems to be an issue that's actually kind of happening right now on the PC side, right? Like all the different uh, VR systems are just kind of pulling in their own games and fracturing the whole market. Well, they, they all have their own little marketplaces, but I mean, you can buy a Drift on the Oculus store, I would imagine, but it's also available on Steam and I would imagine that it still has Oculus support. But would it work with the Vive? You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that, that's that's the question. But that's what this kind of leads me to believe is that if Sony's like, hey, we'll just offer our hardware, we'll make it PC compatible, and then people can use their you know, Sony VR to play Adrift instead of their Oculus. I also wonder if this is um, has anything to do... I think, unless I'm mistaken, the PlayStation 4 uses AMD internals, right? For their main chipsets. I wonder if this has anything to do with their... With their liquid VR, AMD's liquid VR initiative, if, the, if uh, that's something that they're trying to utilize. Hmm. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, and, and he says that the, the parts are internal, uh, the internal parts are, are pretty similar, uh, but, but I think you guys sort of hit on it that it's not quite the same thing as porting a game from, say, a PS4 to an Xbox One where the general idea is the same. I mean, these different VR systems might work totally differently from, from one another, and um, giving them some sort of unified central platform that they can all have in common, I think, uh, moves toward a, a little bit more uh, friendly porting, I think. That'll well. be good for everybody, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if people want VR to actually take off, it needs to be compatible across any device. It needs to be like a monitor, right? Like a monitor will work with anything. Like That's how right. it has to be. For sure. Uh, in this same conversation, Ito told Nikkei that Sony plans to ship upward of 2 million PlayStation VR units this year. So it looks like they're trying to go big. Uh, some other big shifts in the land of video games. Capcom is reconfiguring its mobile division and plans to release more of its games on mobile that are based on existing intellectual properties. Uh, they've announced that uh, a new business division will be focused on 
creating those titles for mobile and will produce games for the Japanese audience as well as those outside the country. Uh, in a statement, Capcom says that it will be focusing more on established properties and has said that four games are planned for fiscal year 2017, which ends next March. These games will include Monster Hunter, Sengoku Basura, and Mega Man franchises. Milk that Mega Man! Yeah. Do it. Well, and you know, the funny thing is that I'm not sure that the traditional Mega Man games would, would really be a great, great fit for mobile. I mean, you could put anything on a mobile platform, but some of their later games that I'm not really super familiar with, like the Mega Man Battle Network type games. Um, I, I mean, you know, we've we've seen that you can, you know, if, if you put an IP onto a platform and maybe adapt it and do a good job doing that, I think that there's definitely some 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 attractiveness to use your existing IPs and to bring in some new players. So, so they're saying they're going to be developing new games of these franchises for mobile, not bringing old games over as ports? Yeah, they haven't really clarified about that. They've, they've mostly been talking about the properties themselves. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen uh, companies like Square Enix who have done a lot of straight ports, so you get a lot of the Final Fantasy games that come out on mobile, um, things like The World Ends With You and, and some of their, um, I don't know, RPG-ish, maybe somewhat action-y type games. But they're also doing a lot of, of uh, new and uh, original games, um, sometimes Hitman based Go. on... Hitman Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stuff like that, or the uh, Final Fantasy Record Keepers and, and some of those kinds of things. So I think that's been working out pretty well for them. I mean, they're the only company I know that uh, continues to offer titles on iOS and, and Android marketplaces for $15, $16, $18, 20 um, So For 15-year-old games, 20-year-old yeah, games. exactly, exactly. So uh, I don't know. I You know, uh, Monster Hunter in particular is one that I'm kind of interested in. Um, things like the Ace Attorney games I think have already at least made some kind of leap uh, I believe, uh, I was thinking of Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright, but I know that there's a version of that that's uh, on mobile as well. So, I don't know, I guess we have a whole year to kind of wait and see how that turns out, but I uh, thought that was kind of interesting and notable as well. I uh, want to bring this around to a couple of specific titles that are getting some new updates in April, uh, games that we have played in the past and uh, continue to be playing. Uh, first of all, Destiny is still alive and kicking for the time being. I'm not sure if the... My uh, son was playing it today. And he said, Dad, I need to buy the Taken King. We need, we need to buy that. And I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I haven't caught it for him yet. Take, Taken King was Taken King was all right. It was pretty good. Actually, that was the, the point at which that I sort of stopped playing. But uh, it looks like they're going to well, that, be... That's when it ended, right? Has, has there been anything since Taken King? No new story content. But they've been doing things like the Sparrow Racing League and just the various little updates that they're releasing. And um, they are planning on doing some changes to the... Uh, weapon upgrade system, the um, synthesis system that they've got there. And uh, this next month in April, they're going to be introducing a new Chroma system for both armor and weapons. Chroma will be a color-based system, white, red, yellow, and blue, which uh, allows people to get random Chroma drops three times a day. Um, and uh, along with new sets of armor, and um, basically it allows people to sort of take a little bit more direct customization ability to their weapons. And I'm not sure if this is in response to, but I think that some of the weapon customizations and, and armor customizations that you can do in the division have maybe kind of informed this a little bit. I found that to be a much more straightforward upgrade and customization system than anything Destiny ever did, so um, they're hopefully going to be taking a, a note from that, because I think that was one of the things that would really frustrate folks about Destiny itself. Um, the new light cap is going to be 335, and so you'll see some new gear at that level. They're also going to be reviving some of the Year 1 weapons and armor in a new, sort of refreshed 
version, and uh, it looks like uh, some of the new items will drop in uh, Iron Banner, Trials of Osiris, and the hard version of King's Fall, uh, the Court of Oryx, and Challenge of the Elders, and then there will be some new unique rewards that will drop at level 335 in certain strikes and exotic engrams as well. Boy, it's been a long time since we've talked about some of, some of those yes. terms in this show, but uh, I, I kind of sometimes look sideways over at Destiny and kind of wonder if I shouldn't have tried to make a little bit more of my purchase of the Taken King. Um, you know, it was never not fun. It just sort of lost me along the way, I think, with some of those new updates. So if they happen to make that process a little bit more user-friendly, I would not be against that. Uh, over at The Division, their first free add-on is hitting in the next week or so, April 12th, and will add a new endgame raid as well as loot trading with your comrades. Uh, this will be the first of two announced free incursions, and uh, this will include endgame activities designed with squad play in mind, and as I mentioned, loot trading as well. There will be a new location, which is an underground water treatment facility that serves as a stronghold for a new faction called the Last Man Battalion, and over on the Ubisoft blog they talk a little bit more about that. The update will include four new gear sets, which uh, this doesn't mean anything to me, but maybe you guys, since you're both sort of playing uh, playing the game, might recognize it. Sentry's Call, Striker's Battle Gear, Path of the Nomad, and Technician's Authority, which are designed for specific play styles. And when you complete a set, that new gear will unlock a new talent for your character, and will also push your agent's abilities beyond the current level cap of 30. Uh, the update will feature a few gameplay changes, including, uh, like I said, the ability to swap loot, as well as a camera follow if your agent dies. Uh, there will be another free incursion titled Conflict a little bit later on, and after that Ubisoft will start releasing three paid DLC expansions, Underground, Survival, and Last Stand. Um, are you guys still driving hard at The Division, or is that... Uh... I haven't played it since before my trips, so I need to get back at it, because... I want to I want to get to level 30 and start playing with my friends. I, I think they all kind of fell off as well. We kind of all did, but it, it's kind of Yeah, I need to get back into it. I, I think Destiny had some pretty long legs for a while and I wonder if um the division maybe being as similar as it is to Destiny. I wonder if the like the honeymoon period might be wearing off a nah, little, little dude, bit. No, it it might be similar in mechanics, but it's it's way different. It's it's different in that it's it's more based in reality than science fiction, so I think it has a different appeal to a different type of audience. Sure, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. But right. I, they, I also heard that uh, they are bringing in um, helicopter crashes to the dark zone, which is kind of like a similar to some mechanics that they had in DayZ, where there was you would come across helicopter crashes out in the wild, and there'd be hard, really hard NPCs guarding those helicopter crashes, but you could get really, really good loot from them. Um, and I think they are bringing, I heard that they're bringing something like that to the division, um, which in, in DayZ, that was kind of like a really, really cool area to kind of fight around. And, you know, there's always, you know, some skirmishes going around there, which is a lot of fun. So taking it back to that DayZ, as, the DayZ aspect of division, I think is cool that they're bringing some more stuff in to kind of um, trigger and to facilitate awesome PVP encounters in the dark zone, because that's in my opinion, the coolest place into the division, for sure. Yeah, and one, one of the things that I like about the way they're handling that and the way Destiny handled it is that they are reacting, I think, to player response to the way the game works on the fly. I mean, it's not that you have to wait for a big paid expansion to, to get this stuff done. They're releasing hot fixes and... Well, the incursion know, stuff is stuff they've updates. promised since the beginning, so it's more like they're just delivering on what was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, they are, I mean, there was... There's no end game content to speak of. I mean, it's kind of like the Vault of Glass in, in Destiny that came out way after the fact. Like, this is kind of similar to that. Right. That makes sense. 
Well, speaking of making good on promises, uh, as of this month, anybody can now turn their Xbox One into a dev kit for free. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but back when the Xbox One was announced, one of the things that Microsoft had touted was the ability to use any retail Xbox One console as a development kit free of charge. Well, it turns out that uh, starting on, uh, again, April 1st, uh, Xbox Dev Mode is now available as a preview and will be finalized as a full release this summer. The mode will allow anyone to build, test, and experiment with the UWP platform for development, and uh, it's actually pretty easy to convert a console to dev mode. There's no special equipment or fees required, although for full access to abilities, uh, you may need to create a dev center account for $19. And um, the uh, folks involved over there, Chris Sharla, who is the director of ID at Xbox, says that uh, they're excited to open the Xbox to everyone so that anyone can get started developing, but also stressed that most people may want to wait until the full release later this summer. He says that there may be some issues currently. Uh, the preview offers access right now only to 448 megabytes of the Xbox One, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and when dev mode comes out of preview, eventually users will have access to the full 1 gigabyte supported uh, of RAM supported by UWP Xbox games. Uh, uh, there's a whole lot of information on this, and you can probably check that out over, over at the uh, ID at Xbox website, and uh, if it's something that you're interested in and have been waiting for, uh, waiting on that three-year promise back in 2013, well, Microsoft is now making good on that, so as of right now, go ahead and check that out and see if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, speaking of other things that have been a long time coming, Final Fantasy XV now has an official release date. It will be launching September 30th on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and uh, Square Enix held a big Final Fantasy Uncovered event and had a lot of videos to show off, and uh, lots of information actually came out of this. Um, there's actually a demo now that is available both on the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Which did you guys play it? I did play through a little bit. Uh, it's a little weird. Did you finish it? How long is it? I did finish it. Uh, it's uh, maybe an hour, maybe, if mm. that. Uh, there, there are little secret things that you can find. In fact, I watched a video for somebody who had actually found this like giant shuriken that does like teleporting and is kind of a, a big, big deal. Uh, but if you happen to complete the demo, you will also get an exclusive summon of Carbuncle, which is a Final Fantasy, kind of like a little foxy kind of character. And uh, you'll get to carry that over into the game when it launches later on this year. Uh, in addition to the game and the demo, there will be a feature-length Final Fantasy XV film called Kingsglaive, which will also be coming out this year. Um, it will uh, tackle events that occur as Noctis, who's the main character of the game, and his crew sort of go on their road trip. Uh, it will not be showcased in theaters, but will be available via stream and download before the game is released. Uh, lots of folks there, including Sean Bean, Aaron Paul, and Lena Hetty from Game of Thrones. They're all in it. And uh, Sean Bean plays the king, so I, I think we're pretty much assured that that dude is going to die. Um, <laughs> rest in peace, king dude. Uh, and then in addition to all of that, Square's going pretty big with this, they're also releasing a five-episode anime series, and uh, that's going to be called Brotherhood Final Fantasy XV, being created by animation studio A1 Pictures, which is known for Black Butler, Sword Art Online, and uh, Valkyria Chronicles 3. Uh, the anime will span five episodes, will be available to stream for free from YouTube, and actually the first episode is already available to watch on that platform. The anime will touch on the friendships between Final Fantasy XV protagonist and his comrades, and uh, Square Enix says that they are setting the stage for the adventure that players will set out upon in the action-packed RPG. I'm awesome. I'm all about this. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like, like me some Final Fantasy. 
Yeah, right? I do too. Absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to it. And actually, one of the things that I've found about some of these latter-day Final Fantasy games is that uh, maybe because of the, the production quality and, like, the glittery stuff and, you know, fancy magic and stuff, but my kids were really into... They sort of watched me play through all of the Final Fantasy 13 games and kind of got invested in that. Um, and so I, th I think they'd be interested in this, and it looks like it's a pretty... I mean, obviously, the production value of Final Fantasy 15 is going to be awesome. Uh, whether the characters are interesting... Who knows, man? Maybe they'll knock it out of the park. I'm being optimistic. They might. They might. And actually, the uh, the demo is kind of interesting in that, well, again, we'll talk about that uh, maybe middle part of the week. How, how's the combat on a scale from 1 to 5? Uh, like 0. 0.5. Uh, in the demo, it is not, it is not super... Uh, not really well fleshed out, but... Uh, Great. Yeah, but it, it does do a lot of, um, let's say, responsive or, uh, you know, it, it basically will do, like, cool little animations based on what you're doing. In fact, you can just hold down a button and he'll just kind of keep doing attacks or keep doing defenses and the, the situations are dynamics. So uh, it's free and it's only about a three, three and a half gigabyte download. So if you have either the Xbox One or the PlayStation 4, you can actually go check it out right now. Get yourself a free carbuncle. Uh, let's move it on to the other side of the world now, where a court has ruled that Valve has broken Australian consumer law, not having a refund policy. Uh, the lawsuit was brought in 2014 before Valve's current refund policy was enacted. This was brought by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and uh, a, an Australian federal court has ruled that Valve made misleading statements to consumers in its terms and conditions, which pertain to the right of Australian citizens to demand a refund if they are sold a faulty or defective product. Uh, a hearing will be held at the middle of this month to determine if there should be any compensation uh, from Valve, and it could include monetary damages. And uh, as of this time, that's really all of the information that's available. But um, I don't know. Spiders and consumer protection laws are uh, pretty intense in Australia. So I guess good luck to Valve. So we're going to bring it back to the United States, back to uh, California, where, interestingly, the University of California in Irvine has announced a League of Legends scholarship. And uh, I think this has been kind of a long time coming as well. Uh, as we know, eSports is now getting a little more coverage on sports networks like ESPN. And uh, turns out that League of Legends, which may be the most popular game in the world, is uh, pretty big on college campuses. And uh, by the start of this year, six different private schools had developed scholarships based on that game. Uh, lots of student-run clubs and things like that. But uh, today, the uh, UC itself will become the first public university to launch a League of Legends eSports scholarship program beginning in fall 2016. Riot Games is supporting this by funding a PC cafe on campus for all students to use. It will be built like the Korean PC cafes and will offer a premium League of Legends experience. So Heroes of the Storm is just wrapping up their Heroes of the Dorm tournament. I believe it wraps up this next uh, Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. But uh, so basically it's a huge like you know March Madness size bracket of college teams. So like college colleges will put together a team for their college and then they compete um in this huge bracket just like the final you know the march madness ncaa basketball tournament stuff right so i i think that this is you know a step in the direction of having you know teams for colleges with scholarships just the same as if you know a football team would have a scholarship you know the people to play for the football team i think that's really really cool that colleges are getting on board with esports you know and know that that's you know, a good thing for their school. Also, the Heroes of the Dorm tournament, just to kind of pimp it a little bit, they're giving out $500,000 worth of scholarships 
um, to the players who are playing in it, including the five members of the team that win. They all get their entire college tuition paid for for the rest oh, of wow. their their college career. So that's pretty awesome, man. I I, I like it that these um, uh, the games are kind of getting more involved in schooling and realizing that that's an important thing. And you know the esports, the people, you know the esport athletes, if you'll call them that. You know the players who play at the high end sure. of the games. You know they they are very very smart people. They're also you know physically fit and generally speaking, and you know they have regimens to you know keep their mental acuity up and as well as their physical fitness. And I think that's um, I, I I like I like seeing this kind of stuff come up because Absolutely. I think it's important. Absolutely. And uh, in fact, uh, someone over at uh, Riot. Set, uh, in fact, let me find out who this is. Sorry, this is what happens when I don't read these in advance. Do 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 do. Sherman, Sherman, Michael Sherman. Uh, and according to Michael Sherman, who is Riot's collegiate program manager, he says that uh, they are uh, pretty pleased with this. They don't think that they're going to be in a position to say quite yet if esports scholarships will become as common as basketball or football scholarships. But they're going to keep supporting schools that are interested in this sort of endeavor. So it sounds like a pretty it, positive. It'll come thing along, man. It's it's gonna it's just gonna grow. I mean, you can't stop it. It's gonna be as big as I mean. League of Legends is already bigger than some sports, you know, Absolutely. generally speaking. So Absolutely. I, I think it's only a matter of time before schools fully embrace the idea of having a college team for League of Legends, a college team for Counter-Strike, and, and having, you know, some sort of a league within the colleges themselves. I think that's awesome. I think it's something that will happen. The question is when. Yeah, I think it's cool. Well, uh, the only other thing that's bigger than League of Legends right now, Clash Royale. Uh, yes! For which three of the four Game Bite Show hosts... Oh my gosh. Uh, well, guys, I, I know that I had made fun of... We're uh, unstoppable. <laughs> I know that I made fun of Dale last week for spending uh, actual real-world dollars on uh, Clash Royale, but uh, I just wanted to bring this up so that Dale didn't feel so bad, because Clash Royale's top-ranked player has spent over $12,000 on that game and spent even more on Clash of Clans. And uh, the um, current, uh, I guess, reigning champion. I'm not exactly sure how this works for Clash Royale, but uh, Chief... He has pa the most trophies. Ah, I see, I see, okay. So Whatever Chief Pat, over on a Reddit AMA thread, revealed that he spent a total of $30,000 between those two games, or I guess between all oh, of Supercell's man. games. $18,000 on Clash of Clans, $12,000 on Clash Royale. And um, he says that uh, he's never regretted it. YouTube is his job, so he streams a lot of this, I suppose. And it's a business expense, and he's got to show off all of the coolest stuff for his subscribers. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess um, I guess if you can write it off as a business expense, it seems a little bit less of a uh, travesty. But uh, I wonder if he's making that much money through his YouTube stuff. Yeah, Have you looked up yeah, his YouTube wonder. channel? I can't imagine that. But uh, it's kind of funny because just the anecdotally, I just want to say that all the people that are in my social media streams talking about this game are all like in fear of spending money on Clash Royale. I guess it must have... Um, and actually, I've seen that there's some criticism of it as well. I think there are people who are kind of coming out against it, saying that it has sort of an abusive payment system for whatever it offers in-game. But uh, yeah, we'll probably be hearing a, a little bit more about it. I mean, it's ostensibly a free-to-play game, so presumably nothing is required to be paid, but uh, I think it's gaining a little bit of a reputation as as a... Uh, let, let me tell you something about Clash Royale. <laughs> and even though it's not Wednesday, I want to I say something, because it it's kind of relevant. Sure. I, I think that for me, like mobile games have sort of a drop-off. In a lot of cases, I'll download a mobile game, and I will play it, and then I will delete it like shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, Clash Royale is really, really good, um, but the microtransaction, all the pay stuff, like ha I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. 
Um, but there, there comes a certain point where if you're not paying, then you can't play the game anymore and get any progress. You would play mm. for fun, but that's basically it. But without the progress, that hook isn't really there. Now, by not by me making me not play the game a lot, it makes me keep it installed and actually play it more consistently as time goes on, if that makes sense. That is kind of weird. It is really weird. I, I'm, re- I'm realizing that because I'm like, oh, like I was playing earlier today. And I'm like, well, I'm done playing this game. I think that if I spent money and kind of leveled up and did all that and didn't worry about, you know, the microtransaction, I just put money into it whenever I needed to, uh-huh. I think that I would grow bored of the game. You'd burn quicker. out on it. I'd burn yeah. out on it because I'd be playing it all the time. Um, but by holding back, you know. Interesting. Like reverse psychology or who knows? I don't know. Maybe. It's weird. Like, like I, I really hate the way that they have the microtransactions built into it, but I don't hate that enough to uninstall it because every time I do play it, I have a good time. And I play it just enough to get my little fix of playing the game and the enjoyment out of it, and then I'm done. When I can't, when I have, when I hit that roadblock of having to spend real money, I'm basically done, and I don't want to play it anymore. So it's about right for me. Interesting. It still pisses me off, but I mean, they are probably pretty smart over there at Supercell, so I, I wouldn't put it past them that this is all part of their diabolical plan. But I still haven't spent money though, so apparently it's not. Of the three out. or four progression systems in the game. You know, all of them kind of shut off eventually unless you start pen- spending money except for trophies, which you can still earn uh, even if you're not earning chests or crowns. Yeah, but the problem with trophies else. is once you get more trophies, you get to the point where if you don't have you get cars hard. to beat those people at mm-hmm. the higher levels, then you just get your ass knocked back down anyways. So, right. You just kind of bounce around <laughs> in the so, same it's zone. It's such a weird mm-hmm. game, man. It's... Uh, well, I, I've started playing a little bit, but uh, so far I join the found, clan, bro. I, I, I haven't gotten quite to the point where I can do that yet, and I'm sort of giving it a little bit of side eye. It hasn't quite—I I don't quite see the hook yet, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a fair shake. I'll, I'll play it a little bit this week and uh, maybe have something to say about it. But as far as this podcast, that is all the news for this week. All right, I'm going to rip through these uh, new releases. Uh, go to tech-gaming.com and check out the new release list. That's where we get ours. Tech Gaming—they're great. Uh, let's see, uh, Dirt Rally is coming out for the PS4, PC, and Xbox One. This has been in early access for a while, if I'm not mistaken. And I guess it's now coming out for reels. Um, so there you go. Uh, Quantum Breaks out on the Xbox One. I hear it's really, really good, or at least good enough. So I'm going to look forward to the PC release, because um, that's now coming to PC. Yeah, right. Thanks, Xbox. So with the uh, Oculus Rift coming out, there's now a bunch of um, VR games that are out, including that Lucky's Tale, right? Isn't that that, yep. that one that's named after Palmer Lucky, it's I like would imagine? The platformer. Uh, also, other VR games that work in there. Um, yeah, well, none of those look good, <laughs> except for the job 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 simulator. simulator. Yeah, sorry, that's the only one I'm interested in. Job simulator and Ruckus Ridge VR party. You know what nice. I'm, saying? I'm gonna get me some Ruckus. Oh yeah. Uh, also, uh, so Ashes of Singularity is out on PC. Hyperlight Drifter on PC. I believe Jared's playing this game. Hyperlight Drifter. Yeah, that came out. That was a Kickstarter darling. It just came out. Uh, it's pretty early cool. Access. That's not early access. That's a full release. But oh, it's going to come to Vita access. eventually. That's the version I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to play. Dude, Axiom Birds is coming out. We That's didn't right. make that announcement. No. Uh, August, April 17th? Something like that. Sound, this month. Right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragon Spear. Yeah. First this expansion is, is in special. 17 years. Uh, it's getting very poor reviews on GOG. So there you have it. <laughs> Doesn't hold up to games now. No, Literally every review. Uh, Rogue Squadron on Steam. Uh, Don't Starve has a new expansion out or a new add-on uh, called Shipwrecked, which is out uh, in early access or in it's out now officially out of early Correct. access. Correct, that's right. Uh, Lovely Planet for the Wii U for ten bucks on the eShop. Mario Super Sluggers, 
on the eShop as well for 20 bucks. Uh, Civilization Revolution 2. I only played the first one. I never played the second one. Is this like a game that's been elsewhere and is now coming to Vita? Uh, yes, yes it is. So it's a lot like the XCOM Plus that uh, came out uh, just like a couple weeks back. So uh, 2K now releasing two sort of major releases on the legacy platform PlayStation Vita. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 get, it's gaining some traction, that legacy platform itself. I hear the Vita's going to be big. That's right. Uh, Xbox Live Gold, uh, you get uh, Wolf Among Us, which is pretty cool for Xbox One, as well as Sunset Overdrive, which I think is not even a year old yet, so that's kind of cool. I think, I think it's, I think it's just fall? over a year old. I think it's just oh, barely. Is it? Yeah, just barely. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, we pro- I think we talked about it. Our podcast is probably a year old, thanks. I remember talking about it on the show. Happy anniversary, you guys. Wow, crazy. Uh, we should look that cool. up. <laughs> we should. Uh, Xbox 360, um, also the Dead Space and the Saints Row 4. And also just the note that all of the Xbox 360 games on Games with Gold are also compatible on the Xbox One as That's well. That's right. So keep that in mind if you have an Xbox One. Uh, also, for PlayStation Plus, I haven't even looked at these. and I um, A virus named Tom for the PS Vita. I think I have this game somewhere. Uh, I think I have it on, on PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, shoot Shumi? Shoot shoot Shimi. Yeah, that one. Uh, PS Vita. And who knows I think, I think it's like a horizontal scroller. Uh, it's like a... I guess it's like a really wacky sort of just like shoot 'em up kind of game. It sounds pretty wacky. Yeah. Uh, zombie. This is the Zombie U from the Wii U remake uh, right. that came to consoles last year, I think. I think uh, this means that I'll be able to keep my sealed copy of the Wii U version sealed. Ooh, cool. It'll, it'll be worth some big money someday. <laughs> it'll be kissed by a rose. Also on the PS4, Dead Star um, looks great. I, don't uh, know. I believe this is a brand new release. It's going to be free, and it is from the studio Armature, who a lot of those people used to work on the Metroid Prime series. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. And on the PS3, I Am Alive, which is, I can't remember. I, I, I've heard of it. It's like a post-apocalyptic. It sort of came out a little bit before yeah. The Last of Us, and I played it. It was actually not bad. Not bad. And Savage Moon, which I have no idea what it is. That is a tower defense game, which is uh, pretty old, but still a goodie. Yeah, pass on that one. And that's all the new releases. We're not going to talk anything more. I'm sorry. All right. Oh, Mega Man Legends on PSN. Two. Mega Man Legends 2. Sorry. Excellent. Because that's the one that like nobody could find. It was really, really expensive on PS1, right? Yep, that's true. That's exactly right. So it's right. out on PSN, so that's cool. And that's it for new releases. Cool. Thanks, LeGrand. Hey, no problem. All right. So we're going to do a topic today. We're going to do one. Um, I, this actually broke a few weeks ago, um, and we're just kind of now getting to it. But... Uh, the developers of That Dragon Cancer, which was, if, if you recall, released back in March, a video game created by a dad who, I guess, lost their son to cancer. Um, anyway, he wrote this fairly lengthy blog post uh, back in March, the end of March, about how they had not received any money from sales of that game and basically blaming Let's Plays, um, essentially saying, you know, you can, you can read the post over on the blog but basically coming down to let's plays are great for games that are procedurally generated uh that have sort of endless uh gameplay that people might be able to watch and then go play themselves but for shorter narrative driven games like that dragon cancer uh their his feelings or thoughts i think were that people would watch this game on youtube and that was sufficient for them and they would not buy it thus on Steam, and that they were receiving no money from sales for this. So I was just kind of curious if, if you guys have, like, do you watch Let's Plays? Do you feel bad if you watch Let's Plays and then say don't buy a game or don't own a game? I don't, I don't think I would ever watch a Let's Play video of a narrative-driven game personally. 
Just because right. if there's a game that I'm interested enough to want to know, uh, you know, what the story is or what the game is all about as far as the storyline goes, I would probably just play it. Like, I don't think I would watch someone else play it. And I don't think I would want to watch somebody else play it to try to determine that that's why I wanted to buy a narratively driven game. So I would never watch um, this Dragon's Cancer Let's Play video on YouTube because if I was interested in the, ga in the game, I would just buy it and play it. Just get it. Yeah, I actually have sort of a, a rule, particularly with like these narrative-driven games. Like the the one that this really came into play with me was uh, the first the, the uh, reboot of Tomb Raider. So I, I had picked that up in a sale. I knew I was never going to get around to playing it. They're typically not the types of games I play anyway. Uh, and so I ended up watching the whole thing um, and really enjoyed it. But you watched again, the whole thing of Tomb Raider. I did. And what's weird is I. I didn't actually feel that guilty about doing it because I already owned it. Like I'd already bought the game. So I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Well, there's, there's, so there's a couple things. There's, there are games that where the story basically is the game, like a telltale game mm -hmm. um, or that dragon's cancer or gone home or, you know, any of the number of these walking simulators where the storyline is more the game than the gameplay itself. You know what I mean? So right. I think that those Firewatch. games are, I can kind of understand where this guy is coming from because I think you could get the same enjoyment out of that dragon's cancer by watching a let's play video um, as you know, same with like a telltale game in a lot of cases. Well, maybe not a telltale game, but maybe like because some the, of those walking simulator type games like that one that uh, was on steam, like gone home, for example, I think that you could get just as much enjoyment out of that game, watching somebody play it as playing it yourself, just because it is the story itself and the narrative and, is it, that is the game? You're not doing anything else other than that. So and, if you watch like somebody, the, the eventual punchline, like the big kick at the end, which is like, oh my gosh, and you, you know, you could basically experience that just by watching somebody do it. Exactly. So there's I, no I, branching. I, story I can understand no where this guy characters. comes from. Um, whether I believe that's right or not, I don't know. I don't know where you draw the line when it comes to this because I definitely think that. Um, I mean, my kids watch Minecraft videos all freaking day long. If I'd let them, you know what I mean. So. Uh, but they play plenty of Minecraft as well, um, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't know where you draw the line when it comes to these. I, I was just trying to think of any other medium, and, and maybe there is one. So I'm I'm just kind of working through this live right now. But um, I'm trying to think of any other medium where you can take somebody else's work, say a video game, and put it on public display or, or do a demonstration. Because I I think part part of the part of the difficulty here is like he says this you know is a team of eight that put this together, and, and and part of this actually came from a controversy surrounding some content IDs uh, which uh, were mm -hmm. done on the game. Uh, based on the music, based on the soundtrack, the music, right. and so they had said that they didn't intentionally content ID people or flag them, and they removed those content ID flags, but they had intended or they had wanted for their composer, their musician, to be able to make money based on, you know, the soundtrack, which is another thing that, uh, uh, you know, that happens on YouTube. In fact, some of the music that we get for this show, I get from... Uh, you know, music that people put up on YouTube, and um, I think that there aren't many other mediums that I can think of where you can just independently, you know, perform, say, a dramatic reading of somebody's book and, and charge money or accept tips or anything like that or, you know, have a billboard or an ad that somehow gets you money um, and not really involve the creator of the content that you're using to do your performance in any meaningful way. Where, where do you stand on covers, like music covers? Like, there's a lot of people that go onto YouTube and record themselves playing some musical composition that was not done by them and then they put it up on YouTube for everyone to listen to where do you stand on that 
Well, the thing is then that they're doing, I mean, it would be like somebody doing their own remake of that Dragon Cancer. I mean, if somebody made their version and said, hey, look at this version, that look, I, I, I did a D-make, I did an Atari, a Commodore 64 version of that Dragon Cancer, like, that would be their own take on that idea, but there, I mean, this is almost like, you know, I'm going to play a recording of, you know, Eric Clapton playing Tears in Heaven or something like that, and I'm going to take money for, you know, talking about it or saying how great it is or, or, or something like that. I don't know. I mean, th th there, are, there isn't exactly a direct analog here, but like you said, Legrand, I, I definitely can see the creator side of it. Um, and this is something we've talked about in the past with Nintendo doing similar kinds of things where they had flat out, uh, you know, they would slap a content ID on people and they'd allow people to keep doing it, but then a portion of the, of the revenue, the ad revenue that would come from that would actually go to Nintendo. Um, so it, it's kind of tricky. And, you know, the interesting thing is that the, uh, the studio head uh, also says that he believes, uh, so this is Ryan over at uh, the Numinous Games team, he says that he believes that the Let's Play culture adds value to the, the medium of video games. And uh, just like Jared said, it's for games with more expansive or replayable gameplay, it can definitely directly benefit the developers. But the other thing that, um, that they've said here is that uh, as of um, the end of March, that Dragon Cancer sold 14,000 copies, and that's according to Steam Spy. And uh, Ryan Green has said that his team has not yet seen a single dollar from sales. Now, it's hard to say, and I know that there are folks who will say, well, viewing a Let's Play doesn't equate to a lost sale, which is probably true. So, you know, a number or even a majority of those people might not have purchased it um, in general. But, um, I, I mean, it's still... It, 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 might, it might represent a lost sale because it gives somebody the idea... Maybe it's not a game that you that you want anyways. Maybe it's a game you, you know, you were thinking about buying, then you watch a Let's Play and you're like, well, yeah, oh, maybe but, this game's not for me, or, well, maybe I don't need to play this game oh, because it looks, you know, I kind of understand what is going on and I don't really need to experience that on my own. Or, or, moreover, it allows you to have partaken of the content of that game without having put any investment into it. To buy the it, game. Yeah, right. exactly. That's exactly right. P particularly a very straight, narrow, short uh, narrative game like this. Right, absolutely. So Why don't you I, just buy it and uh, play through it and then return it on Steam, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've heard of that happening before. I, I, could, I could imagine this happened quite a few times. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's definitely sort of a complicated issue, and I think that even the Numinous Games folks sort of have a complicated relationship with it. Um, but this is something that I don't think is really getting resolved. I mean, it keeps coming back, you know, every, you know, about every year or so, uh, you know, whether it's Nintendo or whether it's a small indie developer. Um, and it's not, I mean, streaming is only getting bigger and people putting their videos on YouTube. I mean, YouTube gaming now is, is new as of this past year and Twitch was purchased by Amazon. And, uh, you know, they have, I, I believe that they've even sort of made some of the, I mean, Twitch used to have some really strict rules about what kinds of things would, you know, be allowed to be streamed. And I think Amazon has sort of loosened up on that a little bit. But uh, I, I don't know. I think that uh, there, there also could be an argument to be made that, um, maybe you should, as a developer, try and proof yourself against this in some way by making a game that is is not, um, you know, so linear, I guess. I don't know that I particularly agree with that, because I, I personally feel like developers should be free to make those kinds of games if they wish. I think there's definitely room for that. I don't think everything has to be Minecraft or, or Portal Knights or Terraria or anything like that. Or even have branching stories like the Telltale games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I, I think it's hard to necessarily lay it at the feet 
of Let's Play and, and streaming. Um, but, I mean, like LeGrand says, I, I personally don't know that I would watch a Let's Play of that kind of game, but clearly there are a lot of people who do, and um, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure exactly how to reconcile this, and I'm not sure that I'm alone in that either. I, I guess this just seems to be kind of a, a naughty problem. So, Indeed. I don't know. Any any other final comments on that? Anything else that uh, kind of strikes your... I, I mean, d- d- you know, regarding other... other. Me- I mean, is this something that other forms of media have a similar problem with, or is this something that is just unique to video games? I don't know. Is uh, bootleg audiobooks an issue? I don't know. I mean, I, I actually have wondered about that. That's kind before. of outright stealing, though, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a similar concept, right? If you're going to go take a book and read it so that someone can listen to it or whatever. Oh, yeah. Know. You mean that. By bootleg, I thought you meant like torrenting a freaking audiobook. Because I've actually <laughs> thought about doing this, like just for the, myself, there's like a, reading a book. There's and... a website called like Audiovox or something. Um, but a lot of stuff that's on there, I believe, is like old classics that are out of. Yeah, they're like public domain. Copyright anywhere, all public domain. So, mm. but yeah, I, I I don't know, man. That 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 would be a similar situation if somebody did that. I mean, if somebody, you know, bought a book and then read it and recorded the whole thing and then put it up somewhere, where would they put it? I don't know. Is that a, is that a thing, Jared? <laughs> I, I we're we're gonna start doing um, let's reads let's on read. YouTube. <laughs> let's reads. Oh man. oh man, it's it's gonna be a podcast. It's gonna be a spinoff of the Game Bite Show. It's gonna be another podcast. I, I have to admit, the like that bites. thought has literally actually occurred to me. Like, uh, you know, getting in touch with websites and seeing if they'd be willing to, you know, just let you do just a straight read of their of their articles and stuff. But I don't know. I can't imagine that they would be happy with that, and I can't imagine that video game producers are happy with people playing through. Take them right off. Have you guys ever listened to the Polygon Longform podcast? Yeah, that's a good one. I, yeah, I, I, they, they basically read the essay that they wrote. Good old Dave Tack over there. That's kind of the only way I I read their stuff now is to have it read to me. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that's good. And you know, I guess just to maybe kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, I, I mean, what if the people at Numinous Games did slap a content ID on every? I mean, what if they just really got hardcore about it? Or what if Nintendo decided that they were really going to get aggressive and take down those kinds of things? Would that would that help them? I wonder though if if you get. My understanding of the content ID on YouTube, and maybe I'm completely incorrect, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if Nintendo comes in or whoever comes in and content IDs your video, all does all of the revenue go towards them? Or is there a revenue share that can be split between the content ID owner and whoever posted the, the media? I don't know. I mean, maybe. And then it definitely doesn't create any goodwill for you. So then the, the right. backlash is going to be, well, if they are going to not let the community, you know, do what they want with this with this video game, well, then we're just going to boycott them. And I can't imagine that it would turn out well for them. But what else, what else do you do? Do you just take it? I guess maybe you do. I don't know. I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. Well, listeners, I don't know that we've really solved this one, and uh, it is it is kind of a tricky thing. And um, if you would like to take this podcast with you wherever you go, I guess, I'm trying to do a segue there, I don't know, uh, you can do that by uh, subscribing to our RSS or our iTunes link, uh, or you can visit our website, GameByteShow.com, where you can see a list of all of our previous archives. Uh, we also have some great video content ourselves, and uh, we try and add some value to it wherever we can, but we'd certainly appreciate you checking us out over at twitch.tv slash GameByteShow, or you can visit our archive at youtube.com slash GameByteShow. If you have some opinions about this, we would genuinely really like to hear them. Uh, like I said, I'm not sure that we really have any of the answers this week, but uh, if you have some thoughts about it, please reach out to us over on Twitter, at Show. We'll get you to all of us. You can also find us individually. I am at Jeremy underscore Lamont. 
You can find me at Legrand. And I'm at red underscore I. And uh, dead to us at the moment is Dale Count Elmdor Jones at Count underscore Elmdor, who is visiting Japan right now. Uh, what do you think he's doing right now? I, I don't know. He's probably like... Eating some sushi or something? He's doing like a, a tea he's ceremony. He's having breakfast. Like Mr. Miyagi. Is he having sushi for breakfast? Maybe. Could what be. else do they eat over there besides sushi? Rice. Anything? Oh, rice and sushi. Rice. Yeah. Wait, sushi's got rice. Rice for every meal. So, yeah. I don't know. If, but if you're interested, just send a tweet over to at count underscore Elmdor and ask him what he's doing. Because <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows what he's doing? Uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us this week. And as we mentioned uh, earlier on in the show, we will be back at you at the mid part of the week to talk to you about the video games that we've been playing, Clash Royale or otherwise. And uh, we look forward to having you there. Until then, this has been your Game Bite Show. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time. See ya. Bye. ありがとうな。わし。あとは任せろ。